This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 7.06am on Friday, the 29th of December. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning and Anwar Mahbob. Now, in half an hour, we'll be speaking about the Singapore equity market and which sectors we should take note of in the coming year. But as always, we're going to kickstart the last working day of the year with a recap on how global markets closed overnight. On the second last trading day of the year, the Dow closed up 0.1%, S&P 500 closed up 0.04%, while the Nasdaq was down 0.03%. On the Asian front, the Nikkei closed down 0.4%, Hang Seng was up 2.5%, Shanghai Composite STI made a good recovery 1.5% up, and our very own FBM KLCI up 0.2%. For insights on where markets could be heading in 2024, we have on the line with us Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited in Chicago. Tim, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. So growth stocks have propelled the Nasdaq index up nearly 45%, surpassing the broader Dow Jones gains of 13% year to date. Do you think we're going to see a larger divergence between fund flows into growth versus defensive stocks next year? Well, the last couple of months, we've seen a broadening out of the market, especially led by small cap sectors. Um, but we're still dominated by the magnificent seven. So, um, you know, I, I think that you're going to see uh, diversification uh, continuing into uh, to the new year. And I think that's only logical <clears throat> because with the economic growth and Fed rate cut scenario in on investors' plates, I think that uh, calls for a little more exposure, even especially EM. Okay, so Tim, the S&P 500 is inches away from its record high. And like what Shazana said, you know, the Nasdaq has done really well. Does this rally still have legs into 2024? You know, it depends, I think, on what your view is on the Fed. Like, I think the market is crazy with these with the rate high, rate cut expectations. Mm. And I think they're also premature declaring the inflation war being over. Um, having said that, if you'd have told me, if I knew last year, which I actually thought at this time, that yields would rise 10 years, get to 5% or more, I would have thought we'd have been back down in our lows and we weren't. So I think that the market is so is as bullish coming into this year as it was bearish coming into last year. So I'm looking at the exact opposite of what predictions are. So, <laughs> so, are, you, so are you saying there might be a pullback as a result? Yeah, I think there'll be some profit taking probably in January. And I also think that if you upset this rosy Goldilocks scenario that mm. the market seems to be embracing, uh, I think you can have a sharp sell off in the market. With the exception of Japan, investment funds generally gave Asia-Pacific a wide berth in 2023. Now, with the return of risk-on and liquidity pressures easing in the financial markets, where is this region placed in terms of garnering future flows from fund managers? Well, I tell you what, it really seems right um, to receive more fund flow of funds. You know, especially India, Brazil and Mexico. You know, ex-China, the MSCI EM was up 15%. Uh, with China, it was up 5%. But China's weighting has now dropped from 40 to 26%, which I think is good. And I think the lower interest rates, let's just say, if they do pan out and the U.S. does start cutting rates, that's going to hugely benefit these markets. And look at the dollar. Even the dollar has seen, I think, its sharpest probably decline, which also caught many people by surprise. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that you're going to see a lot more 
Uh, and Japan, by the way, is still nothing to sneeze at. But I think the EM market has a lot more room, especially on a relative basis. How excited are you about China? We did see China stocks, um, the Nasdaq Dragon Index go up 2% just last night. It looks like uh, there is starting to be some nibbling. Are you in that corner too? Well, you know, that was probably one of the things I've been most wrong on um, with China. Uh, you know, and I guess underestimating the impact of their uh, troubled real estate sector. But I think China, you know, has room to rally. But I'm losing a lot of confidence in China. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with its uh, uh, free market policies or, say, lack thereof. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, I think the public's distrust of the equity market. So if they can turn that around, you can get a nice rally in China. So I'm actually glad to see the weighting decline. And I do have some, because it's so cheap, have to have some exposure. But I'm not so excited. Hey, maybe this is a bullish sign when the big bull on China gets bearish. <laughs> what about... In this part of the world, Tim, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, ASEAN, is that attractive in terms of valuations or domestic, or themes, perhaps? Oh, I think ASEAN is probably one of the best. And I also think that's because even the commodity sector, I think you're seeing commodities and you're seeing price pressures in a lot of those countries as well, especially India from all the infrastructure I just think that the resources and the demographics are such that I think the region has is going to see, uh, I think, a lot, a big, bright future as far as financial markets go. Can we take a look at, I guess, the inflation trends? Because some analysts are calling this a new era of disinflation, but we do see parts of Latin America and Asia, like India, they're still dealing with high inflation rates. So why do you think some places are still dealing with stubborn price pressures, whereas others less so? I mean, China, because of their sort of credit crunch, you know, you're seeing an export deflation. But let's take India. They're massive infrastructure spending, which is sorely needed and a lot of investment coming into India. So I think incomes are going up and you're seeing demand go up and hence and therefore prices. Now, India is very fortunate because they've been buying some cheap oil, uh, mainly from Russia. Uh, and if oil prices turn around, that'll get even worse. But I think that's called growing pains is what they're seeing right now. And, I'll, you know, again, it's uh, commodity prices. I think I think and that type of action is going to keep a floor on commodity prices, too. Rising interest rates and uncertainty over corporate growth kept the U.S. IPO market very lukewarm this year. Now, how do you see the market for public listings faring in 2024? Well, you know, that's a good question, because you think with the market up near highs, that uh, these uh, IPOs should be lining up uh, big time. And I just don't know if the quality IPOs are, are there. And even the ones that might be quality, I think a lot of uh, companies still see virtues of being private, remaining private. Uh, you know, I think it was the, what was it, the um, uh, Wilshire 5000 has, I think, under 4,000 stocks in it. So that trend has been going on since the Sarbanes-Oxley Oxley after 2002, 2003. So anyway, to your, to your point, though, you should see some because we've had such a sharp fall off last year. So there'll be some uptick. The quality of the IPOs, I think, is going to be more, most important, and that I'm uncertain of. So does this mean it's going to be another bad year for the banking sector then? Because we did see 60,000 drop cuts for the sector, and I think the only winner in terms of share price performance, has been J.P. Morgan, and their profits are one-fifth of the whole sector. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a good point as well, because, you know, there's been some notable cuts. I mean, 
pretty severe. You don't see that that often in that sector. So I think that's a little foretelling of, of what's going on. You know, I think there's a, you had this major asset inflation. Hey, granted, let's say if Fed does cut rates, we don't have a recession and things go, you'll see a resurgence if that scenario plays out. I'm, I'm certain of that. But I, I'm not so sure. I think the trading desks are going to be the ones that are going to have all the action. I'm not uh, convinced it's going to be on the uh, deal side, though. And Tim, if we take a look at Treasury yields, uh, they're falling as investors weigh the near-term outlook for interest rates. What's your view on where short-term rates are heading? Boy, I tell you, short-term rates, you know, um, in fact, I just rolled into some three-month and six-month T-bills today. Actually, nine-month T-bills. So that should tell you that I think that um, I'm not worried about my reinvestment risk, let's say. But I think with the sharp fall, uh, I think rates may come, they, they could come down. If they come down, it's going to be because of weak, little weaker economic activity and the Fed doesn't want to stay restrictive. But this would be the first time the Fed would cut interest rates with the unemployment rate below the rate of inflation. First time in history. So I, I, the jury's still out, in my view, on that point. Uh, but I, I definitely am not in the uh, drinking the uh, six to eight rate cut Kool-Aid. <laughs> Tim, thanks so much for speaking with us. Uh, Happy New Year, and we hope to catch up with you in 2024. That was Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited in Chicago, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Well, it's impressive that market the Magnificent Seven still dominates the market, but diversification is expected to continue. Well, market is always is currently crazy with rate cut expectations, but you know perhaps there is this bull run will not last until what until January when profit taking will start. Tim is not very optimistic on the rate cuts, right? He's taking a lot more cautious tone than other market investors. Uh, we will see who turns out to be right in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I think expectations are that the first rate cut might happen as soon as first quarter, although most analysts expect probably towards the middle of the year. But, you know, it's what he says is so true. If everybody expects something to happen, sometimes it doesn't materialize. So 2023 was supposed to be the year of the hard landing, the US recession. It never happened. Nobody expected Nasdaq to rally up 40%, S&P 500 to come to record highs. So as we move into 2024, what will be the themes? Because AI was a theme of 2023. I find it, I mean, I'm no no expert, but I, I can't seem to see what the theme is going to be. Is it going to be some new technology that we're all going to be excited about? Might still be AI, to be honest. There's so many legs to run on that one. And we're still, it's we're in the very early stages of what this technology can do, right? That's true. That's true. Talking about technology, I think it's interesting to highlight that even the Chinese companies are trying to muscle into that, especially when it comes to electric vehicles. Because a technology company known for its phones is deciding that they want to make their first electric vehicle. And that is Xiaomi. They want to be one of the world's top five automakers. That's quite a lofty kind of goal, isn't it? It's really going outside of their, uh, how to say, target uh, business, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Apple wants to to make a car. That's true. (laughs) But we haven't seen anything. And they didn't claim that they want to be a top five car. According to the CEO, this car will be the Xiaomi SU7, but it's pronounced Suchi. Also the name of famous Taiwanese actress back in the 90s. Just to remind you. Anyway, this product is supposed to be beating Porsche's Taycan and Tesla's Model S on acceleration and other metrics. Pricing not yet revealed, but hinted the purchase price would not be cheap. Rumours of 99000 to 140000 yuan price tag. 
So Suchi, SU7, um, I looked it up and they say, <laughs> apart from also being the name of a Taiwanese actress, it's supposed to mean Speed Ultra 7. So uh, I guess they're trying to show that uh, electric cars uh, do have the speed, I suppose. And really, it looks like they're positioning this to rival uh, cars, higher upmarket cars like your Teslas or, mm. or your I don't know, your Porsches or your yeah. higher end value Electric cars, right? vehicles, yeah. So, okay, the stock in terms of Xiaomi itself listed in Hong Kong is up already 48% on a year-to-date basis. I'm just curious, how much CAPEX are they going to spend and when will they actually turn the first profit? Because the thing about cars is the initial investment is very high, but you really do have to take two approaches. Either you do it in terms of scale or you actually price it to perfection, like the likes of Ferrari and Lamborghini, where the premium is imputed. So I'm not sure what Xiaomi's strategy is going to be like. Especially given the, how to say, competitiveness of the EV sector in China. There are just so many options. What exactly does Xiaomi offer that's not already in the market? After all, BYD is already the world's largest electric vehicle. They beat Tesla Jazz only, what, two days ago? Indeed, 7.19 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll continue looking at the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.